Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild, also run USSF, which has a new website now because of my internet service provider. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, it was great. And uh, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm instructor for exercise physiology and nutrition and run my own business at MikeTNelson.com. All right. Hey, guys, everyone. We have uh, some news. The first one is fun, and the second one is, frankly, a little confusing, um, but I'll get to that. Uh, and then we're going to do the topic of the day uh, after the break. We're going to talk about realistic resolutions. Um, so I'll bite my tongue on that right now. Strength and Muscle Sport News. In the news, uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about what we got for Christmas. I've seen this on uh, other web pages, and I thought maybe our listeners can even post. Maybe we'll create a little thread on our Facebook page, or somebody can, and we'll just, you know, what'd you get? Like, and this is what brought this to attention for me. I actually got my son his first Olympic bar and three hundred pound weight set. Nice. I never. Um, I've never tried to overexpose him to bodybuilding per se because there is a cheesy side to it. You know, so he's never been – he's been to bodybuilding competitions. But even when dad would compete, he – Logan and mom would go do stuff. You know what I mean? They would go elsewhere. And I just didn't want him to see the sort of the primping and the ridiculous, you know, underbelly. The circus sideshow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but he gravitated toward it anyway. You know, um, not necessarily bodybuilding, but, you know, just lifting. He's, his friends are putting on some mass. And, you know, he finds out that dad can get stuff for cheap or free, like as far as the weight gainers and stuff. So he's, he's you know, gravitating that way. But anyway, it kind of begged the question, how much am I going to spend on one of these Olympic bar? You know, like I don't need something with um, – I don't know, some gigantic ceiling as far as load-bearing tolerance and that sort of stuff, you know. So I actually went more or less on the cheap end, you know, and I got him like a, I don't know, it was a $220 set, um, standard, you know, Olympic plates and bar and that sort of thing. And so that was fun. And then I actually, fun on my side is uh, I had to decide how we're going to use this stuff because when I had moved to Minnesota a couple of years ago, I sold off. I had just like a Gold's Gym uh, squat rack uh, and a, like adjustable bench and stuff. And this time I actually got stuff. They're more or less uprights. Um, you can actually take them apart and they're so they're like portable. You know, uh, the two uprights uh, connect with each other with like a cotter pin kind of thing. And it's not just an upright with just like the Y-shaped attachment on top. But they actually, it's a little bit more like a squat rack in that, you know, there's pegs up and down the front, and you know, and you can use it for benching and squatting and all that kind of stuff. And I got a universal inclined bench and all that sort of thing. So, but it was amazing and kind of educational to go to uh, Amazon and start to 
look at how widely varied in cost. I mean, you have to really be careful oh, to buy yeah. this stuff mm-hmm. because they will they will ream you as much as you let them. Yes, they will. You know, yeah. I'm like, that's not worth that. Oh, my God, I can buy the same thing over here for literally half. Yeah. You know, so anyway. And I got some sweet nonstick pans for the kitchen. I, I've been running on those. Ooh. I know that's always controversial. You know, oh, get uh, so, Teflon will kill you. Yeah, Teflon, <laughs> ceramic. I even had some guy on Twitter say, oh, ceramic will kill you. I'm like, you know, then Ceramic what? will? Yeah. That's what he was saying. Oh, he was talking about, I can't remember what chemicals it releases. And I'm like, you know what? You can't win. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, what can I eat? What can I do? Mm-hmm. I've got to live in today's society, for God's sake. And if I try to use just a stainless steel pan, my eggs are going to bake to it, fried to it every day. And I'm just going to be swearing and the stress will kill me. So I don't know. Anyway, so I got some fun stuff. And I'm, I was curious to hear if uh, anybody on the forums got anything. Phil, you get anything for your gym? Um, well, we're getting ready to open the other side. So, yeah, we've got, oh, geez. All kinds of stuff. We've come, yeah, all kinds <laughs> of stuff. So I had a tractor trailer pull up with stuff in it. So, yeah, so That's Christmas, buddy. Yeah. We got a reverse hyper, a glued ham race, a couple rowers, a couple bikes, four or 3,000 pounds in kettlebells and weights and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we got a little bit of stuff. That is nice. So, so yeah. is this all new? Um, all brand new. Wow. What kind of brands so, do you gravitate to? For the um, commercial stuff? Most of the stuff I got is uh, freaking, it's Troy Barbell, most of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy their, their bars and stuff like that, and I get a heck of a deal on it. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's mostly that. And then, you know, the rings and stuff is just wherever we can get them for, for inexpensive. Right. I actually toyed with the idea before I bought those, like my sort of pseudo squat and bench rack. I actually thought about maybe I'll just build something. You know, like some type of just with two by fours. There's actually quite a bit of stuff like that in the gym where I train. I mean, not necessarily the stuff, the racks themselves, but, you know, the the boxes for box squats or a little platform or, you know, you kind of think, what are this mess can I build myself? Now, for you with the commercial stuff, maybe mm-hmm. you can't do that quite as much, but I know gym owners who do that. So anyway, what about uh, you, Mike? Yeah, I was going to say one thing on building stuff I did, we... Years ago, I uh, a guy was over here, and we were trying to do uh, uh, push-ups. We wanted to do a little bit of elevation, kind of like a plyo push-up type thing. I'm like, but I don't have any small boxes. So we uh, duct-taped uh, some large phone books together. I'm like, wow, that works pretty good, actually. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. wouldn't stand on them, but if you're using them just to, you know, sit on in a, a safety, you know, supported rack or something like that, or push-ups or, or whatever. But, um, um, yeah, for Christmas, not... Not too much new stuff, really. I'll probably pick up, uh, I don't know, they changed the name, and I can't remember the politically correct name now, but the landmine, the kind of universal thing that goes into the end of, a, like, Olympic bar. Uh, Rogue makes one that plugs into just uh, bumper plates, so you can do, like, push presses and meadows rows and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So probably pick one of those up. And then I actually got a gym membership to the commercial gym down the road. So I normally lift in my garage all winter, but I realized since I don't get out a whole lot that I've been walking down there even just to do some lighter, you know, cardio stuff or just some, you know, fun machine stuff once in a while is it's actually kind of nice to get out of my house, but it's right. it's weird to be in a commercial gym once in a while, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much, uh, Phil, you see this from the other side, but I 
really am a proponent of just getting uh, a membership somewhere, a lifting club, a commercial gym. Because for me, it's a lot like when I do writing. I have to go to a coffee shop. I have to go somewhere mm-hmm. purposely. Yeah, change the scenery. Yeah, and yeah, change the scenery. I'm not. I'm not too, quite too comfortable. Now, I just bought some stuff for home, and it's a, it's enough that I can actually get some stuff done. But for me, my gym, bodybuilders down there in Akron, they cl- they close on Sundays. So that frustrates the bejesus out of me sometimes because a lot of times I'm exhausted oh, on yeah. Saturday. My wife and I kind of stare at the wall. You were like shell shocked on Saturday, you know, from the week. And then I wanted actually, li- I rather lift on Sunday. But in any case, um, this gives me the option to do some lifting at home, but I, there's no way I'm going to drop my membership because. First of all, like you get to know everybody. You're part of a, a club, part of a team. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I almost feel, feel like I'm, I'm letting them down if I didn't go there because I want to vote with my wallet. I want to support Ma and Pa local gyms. You know, with mm-hmm. all of the Planet Fatness on every corner and all this LA Fitness, this some mega giant LA Fitness just opened down the street. Uh, I don't know. I, it's just uh, the mindset. I think getting out like that. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm lucky in that mine's definitely more of a private type place. And when I travel, God, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when I travel, usually I'm going for a seminar or something. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have a place to train. Yeah. Uh, but and my other travel, I just plan. I, I started this a long time. I just plan to not train. Like, it's vacation, man. I'm out of here. I'm going to take a week off or whatever. You know, and then I don't even have to mess with it. And I'll just train hard when I get back. Um, and, but, I mean, that's rare. That it's usually we're going to a meet or we're going to something else, so I just adjust my training around it. But I always used to do the thing where I would try to overtrain myself or mm-hmm. overreach myself before I left. Yeah, and what I realized was if I was going on vacation, just relaxing, it wasn't too bad. But man, if I had anything else going on, it was a shorter trip. You know, yeah. like three to four days. I would come back just destroyed <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just from the long flight, and you get there and you're not sleeping and all that stuff. So. Now I'm just like, yeah, it's like a four day trip or whatever. I'm like, yeah, just a couple of days off, like you said, and I'm train more when I get home and not uh, worry so much about it. I've also noticed that I'm more active in general when we go somewhere. Yeah. So it's like I'm walking around. Like, oh, we're walking here, walking there, walking there, walking there, walking yep. there. You know? So, um, yeah, and those few days aren't going to kill you, is the thing. Nah. You know? I actually like that idea, Mike, and the whole just to take a couple of, you know, days off. Yeah, because I've noticed for whatever reason, like, it doesn't even seem to be so much the time zone, but for me, like, getting on a long plane flight, I mean, I've done it where I've just gone basically directly south, and so I've only switched, like, one time zone, and I get home, and, like, the next day for training, I've looked back at my, you know, journals for the past, like, four or five, six years, and, man, every day, the next day is just a abysmal, mm-hmm. but I take that day off, and then I'm good to go again, Yeah. so I don't know if it's the being exposed to all the other people on the plane or what lack of movement or what the hell it is. But Mm. yeah. Yeah. We've had some guys on this show that they would do all kinds of stuff. Uh, If they were strong men or Highland games, they were, they'd go find parking lots to throw in or I don't know, all kinds of improvisation, you know, when they're out, out and about, but yeah. So anyway, Christmas stuff, it's fun to talk about, you know, everybody likes to say, Oh, I got this or that for Christmas. You know, like I said, maybe it's uh, supplements or it's a uh, kitchen for me, it's even the, goes into the kitchen quite a bit because you know, that's where the building blocks and the fuel comes from, you know, so it's even fun to get mm-hmm. that stuff. So, okay. And my other bit of news here, that's um, a little confusing and I don't know, Mike, maybe you have some insight on this, but I was 
recently reading some articles online, and they were talking about caffeine helping with glycogen replenishment and recovery. And I was not familiar with this because everything I've ever learned from a cell chemistry standpoint was that, you know, caffeine raises cyclic EMP in a cell. Mm -hmm. And listeners who aren't familiar, that's a what's it's just a message in the cell. It's a signal to break things down, break down fats, break down glycogen. So I don't know how on earth this could help. uh, Caffeine could help glycogen form, help you store carbs. So let me set the stage here. The article itself is not new, but what I had just read was from uh, the Mercola website. And, boy, you have to be careful reading that one because there's some very interesting leads there, but I would I would limit it to that. Anyway, um, this is from Science Daily. Post-exercise caffeine helps muscles refuel. So uh, the summary is that glycogen is the muscle's primary fuel source during intense exercise. It's replenished more rapidly when athletes ingest both carbs and caffeine following exhaustive exercise. So if you go down and look at this a little bit, it says this is the first study to show that caffeine combined with carbs following exercise can help refuel muscles faster. If you have 66% more fuel, that's quite a boast, for the next day's training or competition, there is absolutely no question you will go farther or faster, said Dr. Hawley, the study's senior author. And it goes on to talk about, of course, how ubiquitous caffeine is. Uh, the study was conducted, in this case, on seven well-trained endurance cyclists. They rode a cyclergometer till exhaustion, uh, and then they went home and had, like, a low-carb dinner. Then they came in the next morning and did another exhaustive bout of, of cycling. So they depleted them on purpose, right? Then they gave them either carbs in a drink or carbs and caffeine in a drink in the lab. And then they took uh, multiple biopsies. Muscle biopsies. I should put a picture of a muscle biopsy needle on the, our <laughs> listeners' page. It looks like a McDonald's straw. It's pretty scary looking. Uh, but anyway, and in fact, there's some YouTube videos. If you type in a muscle biopsy, you'll see what I mean. But um, And then they had the guys come back a week later and do it all again with the other drink. You know, first they did just the carbs, then they'd come back for the carbs and caffeine or vice versa. Anyway, a couple of highlights. Glucose and insulin levels were higher with the caffeine ingestion. Well, let me jump to the end of the article. How much caffeine? Eight milligrams per kg. That is a whopping Mm -hmm. dose of caffeine. But it says uh, four hours after exercise, the drink containing caffeine resulted in 66% higher glycogen levels. Again, muscle carbohydrates. Uh, compared to the carb-only drink. Uh, Throughout the four-hour recovery period, the caffeine drink resulted in higher levels of blood glucose and plasma insulin. So higher glucose, higher insulin, that would explain a little bit on why you're storing glycogen, you know. Um, Now, it goes on to say there's several proteins, cellular proteins here that are involved, um, these different calcium-dependent protein kinases. I'm not going to bore anybody with that, but it says low dose is the next step because some of the athletes actually reported that they couldn't get to sleep that night. I'm thinking, well, you think? (laughs) Uh, I mean, eight migs per kg. Let's say you're a 220-pound individual. uh, That's 100 kilos, roughly. You know, that's 800 milligrams Mm -hmm. of, you know, here they say five to six cups of strong coffee. Um, I would suggest it's even more than that, because those would be big cups. Uh, But to drink caffeine after you train Mm -hmm. after you exercise is bizarre to me this is by the way here's the journal reference um is that 2008 lonnie 
Yeah, it, it's not a new paper. Uh, like I yeah, said, Mercola yeah, yeah. was just talking about it, and that's what drew oh, my wow. attention to it. Uh, you know, because I went to the reference list, because sometimes he'll reference, yeah. you know, some pretty hokey websites, in my opinion. But um, Peterson, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N, yep. Peterson and colleagues, high A-A-P. rates of muscle glycogen resynthesis after exhaustive exercise yeah. when carb is co-ingested with caffeine. It's from the Journal of Applied Physiology. So, weird uh, caffeine after you train. Now, this begs the question a lot. And I know David Barr will go on about the whole, you know, workout timing window and stuff. Like, how critical is it for a weightlifter though to completely stuff his muscles full of carbohydrates? You know, literally within twenty four hours, less than twenty four hours after exhaustion. You know, because mm-hmm. if you take a day off in between, or you're training a different muscle group, or or a different lift, you know. Uh, you're using different muscles the next day. I'm not sure how critical it is to have your glycogen as rapidly, you know, driven up 66% higher. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it was funny you mentioned that study because I first, um, this is how I probably spend too much time reading stuff. I had just done my uh, comps for my PhD, and I remember I was up, you know, the whole night, did the whole thing, and they tell you to pass all this stuff. So I get done and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to go relax. So I, you know, it's like one in the afternoon. I haven't slept. So I'm like, I'm going to go to Chipotle and have a burrito. And I pull out some like, oh, I should read some studies. And this is a study that I wanted to read. I'm like, I'm sitting there going, I think I have a problem. I just submitted, mm-hmm. you know, research on energy drinks and all this stuff. And now I'm sitting here in my free time, you know, reading this study about, you know, <laughs> caffeine and glycogen levels. And I'm like, this is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, same thing. It, it, the dose, when I looked at the dose, I'm like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exceedingly high. And then like you said, too, that from a mechanistic standpoint, I found it just absolutely fascinating from a practical standpoint it's like who's gonna do one that high of a dose and then two post training yeah like wow um but there is a few follow-up studies too i've just i haven't done an exhaustive uh search on it but um but that was the first one right from john holly's lab Um, there's one um, by taylor from jp morton's lab that's the effect of adding caffeine to post-exercise carbohydrate feeding but then they looked on subsequent high-intensity interval running capacity compared to carbs alone. So a little bit different study. So they're saying, okay, if you do this, you know, sort of the Dave Barr's question, do you actually further enhance performance. a repeated uh, performance bout? Mm-hmm. And in short, what they said is that it, by adding caffeine to post-workout carbohydrate um, does improve subsequent high-intensity interval running capacity. <laughs> And the last one, which is more recent, was from Van Loon's lab, uh, Mid-Science Sports and Exercise, Impact of Caffeine and Protein on Post-Exercise Muscle Glycogen Synthesis. So they tried to repeat what Holly did a little bit, but not um, identical to that. And what they showed was that co-ingestion of protein or caffeine did not further accelerate post-exercise muscle glycogen resynthesis as long as ample amounts of carbohydrate were ingested. so Right. Yeah. To me, caffeine, like I said, it's, as you might think, it's sort of wrapped into the whole uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, fight yep. or flight, break down fuels, not rest, mm-hmm. digest, and store fuels. I, Phil, I'm curious with what you do with your people. I mean, 
even in hard training, are you uh, are you just saying just eat a lot and just be done with it, or are you literally trying to refuel their you know muscle carbohydrate gas tank as quickly as possible, or what? Depends on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe some of my like uh, my CrossFit athletes. Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's more attention to that mm-hmm. because there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, day one, okay, now we've got day two, you know, the next day <laughs> type of thing. Whereas my powerlifters and weightlifters, no, it doesn't matter, man. We got a one day meet and then you're done for okay, six months from now we got another one, <laughs> you know. So um, it depends on the sport. Um, if it's a multi day type of sport, then yes. Um, or if they have multi day, like a lot of a lot of them have. Mul- they'll have a hard session and then maybe in the afternoon they have a hard session and then the next morning they have a hard session. So I've got people doing two and three days too. So yeah, there's a little more attention paid there. So what do you uh, do with the, that? How do you get them to try to refuel the glycogen? I mean, I'm guessing you're not having them hammer uh, caffeine after workouts. I no, no, it's just, you know, I'll just give them, you know, here, drink this freaking Gatorade and go eat. You know, right. Yeah. Type of thing and go rest. I could see, I don't know. I, I, I can't see like, some of my evening people tell them they take in 800 yeah. milligrams of caffeine. I can see maybe like my 5.30 a.m. people. Here, go ahead and jack this up, and then it'll get you through your work day. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Right. But, uh, well, caffeine is such a two-edged sword because, I mean, if yeah. you're cranking it all the time, I mean, it's even yeah. lipolytic, you know, so it helps with fat mobilization, and yet – if you overdo it, I'm very concerned that, you know, your cortisol levels are going to be sky high all the time. And ironically, I think overuse of stimulants pre and post workouts, um, I think wow. you're going to have high cortisol and end up ironically with maybe more central body fat, especially well, if you're so middle many people aged. Are underslept now. Like everybody doesn't get enough. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do is jack them up even more. So, like, even in myself, I'm very, you know, I'm picky on when I take my caffeine. Oh yeah, me too. You know, mm-hmm. so if I'm if I end up having to train in the evening, I usually don't. It's like I'm, man. I just got to get my sleep. Absolutely. So, and you know um, this this study also or this these group of studies. It sounds like they really fly in the face. I mean, Terry Graham, who I consider sort of the king of caffeine work, caffeine king. Yeah, Terry Graham, Lawrence Spreet. These are Canadian researchers, yep. and I used to go watch lectures with them um, uh, up in Canada uh, annually, but. Uh, Terry Graham had a really good point in that coffee, he says, helps with glucose tolerance, whereas acutely caffeine harms mm-hmm. uh, glucose tolerance and insulin you know, resistance and all that sort of stuff. So that's why this just seemed to fly in the face. I don't know. Is it a function of the super high dose or I don't know, but it's just such a bizarre thing. It seemed confusing. And let me add a little bit more confusion to the mix in that same Mercola article that I was looking at. He was going on about how caffeine inhibits mTOR, so the pathway that's responsible Mm. for cell growth. So let me just set the stage with this a little. I actually pulled a uh, more recent paper than he was suggesting, but this is from Zhou, Z-H-O-U, or Zhao and colleagues, updates of mTOR inhibitors. So uh, this is not the kind of thing that a lot of weightlifters and people interested in hypertrophy, you know, you're trying to stimulate mTOR with leucine and whey protein and not inhibit it, but it says... The mammalian target of rapamycin, that's mTOR, again, it's this biochemical pathway in muscle cells, is a central controller of cell growth, proliferation, metabolism, and angiogenesis with the creation of new, you know, like capillaries. mTOR signaling is often dysregulated in various human diseases and thus attracts great interest in developing drugs that target mTOR. So, for example, cancers, right? You, there are some cells you don't want to be multiplying mm-hmm. like crazy and 
building new blood vessels to to feed them and um and then it goes on now this is very much from a, again this is from anti-cancer agents uh, medicinal chemistry 2010 so it's not a brand new one again it, except that it was brought up in this article that i just read uh it says some natural products such as egcg from green tea right that epigallocatechin gallate uh, egcg from green tea caffeine here it is again caffeine is an mTOR inhibitor uh curcumin and resveratrol which are both considered very healthy and often taken as supplements have been found to inhibit mTOR as well uh and if you're interested in this zhao uh, and colleagues study from 2010 it's a free full text and i did not go pull the free full text but this really begs the question is if you're always using caffeine to train hard when you're pre-workout or to even to replenish glycogen if you want to go that sort of weird route uh are you dampening muscle growth uh mm-hmm. so again these these researchers look at it like it's a good thing oh let's keep those cells from proliferating and spreading and but you're trying to get you know uh mTOR kicked up with weight training that's one of the reasons that you do the stimulus with the weights you know mm-hmm. And I mean, green tea, caffeine, all these things. So it makes me think it must be tissue specific in a way that once you've got that intense stimulation for hypertrophy, you activate mTOR with training and with leucine or whey protein or any protein, really. Um, It's just going to override this. I don't know. Mike, what's your take on that? Yeah, I've often wondered about that, too. And uh, an interesting lecture I saw recently showed a, a picture of the mTOR molecule. And, and at least I'm guilty of this. I thought, oh, it's like a little tiny light switch. It's either on or off, and there's nothing else to it. And it's this pretty massive size molecule, and he's talking about all the different, you know, subunits that, you know, different things can bind here and there and turn right. it on and off. And it's mm-hmm. so I think we'll figure out that it's probably a little bit more complicated than probably what we've been told of, you know, leucine on, caffeine off, that type of thing. Um, and I've often wondered, too, about do you really want to drive, you know, mTOR and then the opposite of that is AMPK and that type of thing? Do you really want to push like the mTOR pathway 24-7, like all the time? You know, does that increase your risk of cancer, which is extremely and highly debatable, um, but even from a body composition standpoint? Mm-hmm. So I'll have some people do like an intermittent fasting for like, you know, half a day or work up to one day a week that's 24 hours you know just drink water have some coffee if you want that type of thing um if body composition is their main goal because i know for sure your insulin levels are going to be lower you're going to mobilize fatty acids you're going to use more fats Mm -hmm. you're kind of doing the opposite of mTOR i don't know if there's any resensitization of it or anything like that or the whole protein cycling is probably way overstated yeah, I don't know. Like I it's said, all trade off. It's, it's confusing, and I think people need to realize that it's not that. Oh, those scientists—they don't know what's going on. It's that science is reductionist, <laughs> right? So they're answering these little yeah. questions, and like you're saying, somebody's going to have to come along and take the next step and say, "Listen." In fact, that Zout paper has a nice little review of the different sub components of mTOR. Oh, know? nice. Yeah. So it, again, it's you're, are you going to go tell people, "Oh, don't consume any pre workouts or caffeine; you'll never build any yeah. muscle." Well, people know that's hogwash. You know, of course, you're going to build mm-hmm. muscle. You'll probably perform better, get a better training effect, and probably end up with more muscle. That's it. Actually, that's going to be a good research question. You know, like, do people yeah. who use pre-workouts, are they actually bigger six months later? 
you know, because mm-hmm. they can use more load or that whole super training effect. But yeah. so it's kind of the effect of creatine, right? You can get more performance out of your training, more overload. So if you can recover, you know, yeah. you should be slightly stronger and bigger. Yeah. So anyway, confusing stuff, I guess. But I mean, the if you stick to the narrow research question, it doesn't lie. You know that high dose caffeine after a workout would actually help glycogen replenish. Apparently, at least in some research. Mm-hmm. And then it's also interesting that caffeine inhibits mTOR. And part of the reason I stumbled into that, because like you might, sometimes <laughs> I'm just reading other stuff, and I was reading about how caffeine uh, and aspirin are um, anti-cancer agents over long periods of time. Not, you know, like someone has cancer now, but over like a 10-year period, you, if you look at the epidemiology, people tend to have less cancer who are consuming aspirin and caffeine and that sort of stuff. Uh, so it looks like there is a long effect on something like a cancer and again, it depends on the type of cancer cell, too, I'm sure. Um, whereas, I don't know, you just can't make broad generalizations and say this is going to inhibit mTOR and therefore muscle growth. So mm-hmm. hard to tease us apart. I got two little bits of news um, from the powerlifting world. There was a pretty cool video of Brandon Cass came out. Brandon's been around for quite a while. Anyway, he deadlifted 700 for 10. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, My and this God. is conventional <laughs> in like a t-shirt and shorts. And that was a pretty neat video and it didn't look that hard. And what's um, his body weight? I think Brandon's a 275er. Okay. Um, wow. And then Andre Mostovenko broke the all-time uh, raw record in uh, the 181 class with a 1736 total. So at, 180, at 181, he squatted 644, oh. so 3.5 oh. times body weight. Jesus. He bench-pressed 407 oh. and deadlifted 683. Jesus. So, yeah, I'm telling you, man, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Eastern Europeans are coming on the scene <laughs> hard of late in raw powerlifting. It was, you know, for the longest time they were, they yeah, were IPF. Yeah, never heard anything. Yeah, they were, they were very IPF and... Uh, equipped, you know, equipped, and yeah. now it's like the raw scene's coming on. They're like, okay, let's take a, sh- a shot at this, and they are they are stomping on the scene hard. Wow! So it's kind of fun to watch that, but yeah, that's a those are huge numbers for a one eighty one pound. I'm always impressed by those like weight times volume things. You know, like yeah. seven hundred for a ten. I yeah. mean, <laughs> what? What? And yeah, and the bad thing is, I know there's going to people like come on, and you know, I have I've had people do this with me. They were touch and go reps. It's like I don't care. Right, seven hundred for ten. <laughs> yeah, you know, at that point, it's like once you do that one time, maybe you get to start talking. But <laughs> yeah, right. Let's know. not nitpick. I mean, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> you do it, chump. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So do it for one first. Right. Yeah. Those, those are the uh, those are the two two bits that I had. Oh, that's so. that's incredible. Yeah, the numbers yeah. that you talk about when you give the updates on like what's happening in the power world, yeah. they blow my mind sometimes. They really do. I don't know. And, you know, I like training stuff, too, because, I mean, that's what Rob always, you know, I I think was best at is super high single numbers. Not so much. But, you know, when I would watch him do stuff like 10 sets of 10 with 365, I'd be like, what's you're a nut, you know? And I mean, that's a little bit different, but I I, it's fun to watch a set, you know, like Mm -hmm. with that. Imagine how much weight. I mean, you know what that looks like intimately, Phil, on the bar. Mm -hmm. And for someone, even if he's yeah, there's a little stretch reflex in between. So what? <laughs> so yeah, I was I was stoked when I did it for a, a pause set of three. 
pretty easy. And it was like, oh, a 10? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. just the amount of weight that's on the bar. I mean, some of our listeners, are, of course, are familiar looking at a bar with that much weight, but I think a lot of them maybe aren't, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just, that is heroic. Yeah. So. Okay. All right, well, let's go to break, and when we come back, we'll do realistic resolutions. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Ready in your thoughts. Every week for four years now, it's been our privilege to bring you weekly news, experts, and gym talk. Did you know that now roughly 20,000 brothers and sisters of Iron count on us for these things? Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes... We are also on email. 
Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey guys, you're listening to Iron Radio here. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson with Lonnie and Phil. And today we're talking about New Year's resolutions. And there's all sorts of crazy statistics around New Year's resolutions. Um, one of them I've heard, which I can't find the source right now, said something like, if you poll people, it was in like the high 90%, 95%, 96% of people, like never really achieve their New Year's resolutions. Mm. Um, so here's some quick stats for you. This is from the University of Scranton uh, Journal of Clinical Psychology, 2014. It says the top 10 New Year's resolutions. Uh, lose weight was number one, which we got. We probably could have guessed that. Uh, the rest of them were get organized. Number three was spend less, save more. Four, enjoy the life to its fullest. Five, staying fit and healthy, which we've heard that before. Six, learn something exciting. Seven, was quit smoking. Eight, was help others fulfill their dreams. Nine, fall in love. And ten, spend more time with family. And they go on for just a couple more here. It says, percentage of Americans who usually make New Year's resolutions was 45%. Uh, percentage of Americans who absolutely never make New Year's resolutions was 38% which I thought that was actually a little bit high. And uh, type of resolutions, again, going back to the list we had there, uh, most of them says 47% were self-improvement or education-related, and 38% were weight-related. Money was after that and relationships after that. And last one here, they're talking about the length of the resolutions. Uh, resolution maintained through the first week. 75% of people Ooh. made it through that. Uh, past two weeks, only 71%. Past one month, only 64%. Past six months was 46%, according to this. But I'm yeah, those surprised. numbers seem high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and that's the thing. You hear, like, week one, everybody's like, oh, wow, 75% made yep. it. No, one quarter of the people freaking failed after a week. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. see that. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> Seven oh, days. Uh, negative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One quarter of you already fell off the fucking boat. Right. After, right. After, <laughs> so. after an effing week. After yeah. a week. So. Well, I've never been to a commercial gym, right? I mean, just look at the first couple of weeks and then oh, I know yeah. I've done this and in the past. After four weeks, you know, it's like, That's the biggest thing I again. can give on this part is like, I am so thankful. Like, I'm almost to the point where I'm just going to not allow memberships during the first month. Like no new memberships during January. Yeah, we're, we're the opposite. I just hate it. Yeah, because they're just they going to dilute your membership. They're base. just going to waste my time. Yep, you yeah, know? disappear, and, and you yep. won't be here. You know, so it's like not even worth it. It's like come sign up in February. Yeah. So, gosh, guys, I, I saw know. that when I, I worked at a mon pod gym for many years in college, and uh, oh man, I mean January, it was shoulder to shoulder. It was so frustrating. Yeah. You, know, you, you had the small group of, or even mid-sized group of regulars who you know come and go. It's part of their, their lifers. You know, it's part of their lives. And then the flood of fools, and all of them are gone. I used to say gone by Valentine's Day, you know, mm -hmm. because basically by, I don't know what that'd be, about six weeks later, by February 14th, the gym is back to normal. You know, and they always make the same mistakes, too, with their resolutions. They don't have any social support. 
they yep. they they don't schedule they have no programming so they come in every single day you yeah. know they, they just burn themselves right out and then that's part of the reason that they're they all fail and nobody's going to be that different uh four to six weeks later you yeah. know not body comp and that's what i i'm a i don't really believe in new year's resolutions that much i mean it's just because i've seen 90 percent of people fail and it's it's that whole thing i mean i love goals i'm big into goal setting but it's one of those if it's good enough to start january 1st why can't you start now type of thing and well i don't want to ruin the holidays well the holidays is like three days <laughs> you know, it's it's not every day of the year you well Obviously, our list is going to have a lot to do with the numbers one and five on your list, Mike. Maybe number mm-hmm. ten. I think that was the family one. You know, that's kind of what's going on in my house right now, in a way. I mean, my son's old enough that we can, you know, I can get a spot and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think one of the most beneficial things that we can do as coaches or physiologists is to give people uh, realistic time frames. It's the time frame that the magazines ruin for people. You know, I lost 14 pounds this week, and I always think about the same thing. You know, I'm like, well, I'm sorry to hear that because you're going to gain back 20. You know, mm-hmm. it's you've pushed way too hard, and now you're screwed. But so for fat loss, the textbook answer is something I usually agree with, actually, which is if you're trying to lose fat, it's about a half a pound to a pound a week. Mm-hmm. If you're losing a lot more than that, uh, it's probably water and glycogen and some protein. And let me prove this to you, everybody. So let's say you lost five pounds this week. If you think that was all fat, five pounds times 3,500 calories stored per pound, because that's how much fat is in there. I've done the math on this with grams of triglycerides. So there's 3,500 calories in a stored in a pound of fat. So five pounds, that's 17,500 calorie deficit. I don't think you got yourself into a 17,500-calorie deficit this week. I just don't. So, ergo, right, therefore, it's probably not all fat that you lost. And uh, so if you consider one pound a week, that means you got yourself in just a 3,500-calorie deficit. You know, that's 500 calories a day times seven days. Mm -hmm. So, you know what I mean? And I think if you cut more than five or 600 calories out of your diet all at once, your metabolism is just going to get sluggish, and, you know, your expected weight loss is going to stall. Yeah. You know, so I'm actually a fan of just pulling, like, five, 50 to 100 grams of carbs uh, out of your diet, you know, while you're adding in your favorite type of, you know, exercise. Like, I'm a fan of adding cardio separate from the weights. I know Phil's into that, too. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you could do some high-intensity interval stuff, you know, at the end of your workout. I just did that yesterday, in fact. But whatever you do with the exercise, add in a realistic amount of it. And uh, some people have to do it every day for it to stick behaviorally. Some people can do like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, depending on their work schedule. But, yeah, you're shooting for that roughly, you know, half a pound to a pound per week. And then you're not going to freak out your metabolism, and you can mm-hmm. continue to make progress, you know, in that direction. So well, and the other we were talking about this yesterday with one of my clients was that the, the tough one that I, the mistake I always see on weight loss goals is this: everybody's like, "I want to lose set amount of weight, ten pounds, fifteen pounds, twenty pounds, whatever it is." It's like, okay, that's great. Then what? And they never plan the then what? Yeah, you know, they get to the oh, I lost the ten pounds, and then they don't know what to do, and they gain fifteen back. You know, so you know, one of my clients' goals was I want to lose set amount of weight and then the rest of the year was i want to maintain that it's like okay now you have a plan 
You know, right. It's it's very simple, but at least you know what you're going to do after that's off. A lot of it's refeed. You know, you know we had Danny Sugar on so. talking about how you do the the refeed. How do you come back out of a diet? Yeah. You know, and you don't do it with Twinkies all in one week because mm-hmm. then you know your body's <laughs> sort of in fat storage mode. You know, you have to kind of ease back out of it and decide. Yeah, like if you did a fifty percent of all your intake is liquid, well, yeah. you need to transition to some solid food. You know, you can't do that forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, exactly. And that's where I'm a big fan of lengthy goals. You know, if you're not willing to commit more than a month to something, then man, you need to you need to pick something else. You know, commit to things that what well, you'll stick to. You know, if it's a year long goal, if it's six month goal, if it's whatever. Um, now we're talking. Now it's something meaty we can grab onto. Exactly. So. And, you know, and I've seen some really good data. I, I'll poke around. I had an old. Uh, fitness and wellness book, like just an intro-level textbook by Hoger and Hoger, and they had a really interesting chart in there they used in multiple editions, which basically was um, if you include exercise as part of the diet and the weight loss, you can maintain that new lower body weight. Uh, if you mm-hmm. just try to do it with diet alone, yeah. everybody rebounds, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just a train wreck. And I find that very interesting because here in Ohio, at least, uh, a dietitian has to be consulted as part of a weight loss program. And I always found that ironic because now I am a dietitian, but I can tell you my my role as an exercise physiologist, I think, is much more important when it comes to long-term weight management because mm-hmm. it just uh, it's very ironic that we have to basically contract a dietitian to do a 10-week weight loss program, let's say. Mm-hmm. And yet we all know the science is clear that diet alone doesn't have lasting changes. Restrictive yep. diets alone with no exercise component, are not very good, like that Hoger and Hoger graph, for maintaining you know, yes. that, that lower and body I, fatness. And that's where I think everybody fails. Everybody fails because yeah. they, they see the word diet, and diet is a short-lived thing. And they don't realize that you need to change you forever. Yep. You, know, you need to make a lifestyle change that you can stick to. Golden and that's rule. what I try to push on people. Is like, yep. No, they sit in short term. You know, if you want to make this and have it last, you have to pick things that you're, okay, I'm willing to stick to this for life. Exactly. <laughs> you know, as long as I want to keep, or as long as you want to keep these results, you're going to have to change yourself forever. Exactly. You know, I so. always talk, like when I talk <clears throat> to students about this, I say people often mention the battle of the bulge. There's no mm. battle. Your body's not necessarily battling you. That's a very negative outlook. Your body is like a wagon. It, it follows your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you turn left, the wagon follows you left. If you turn right, the wagon follows you right. So if you want a smaller wagon, you got to do things for, you know, like the golden rule. Can I do this for the rest of my life? So when you make yep. a dietary change or lifting change, you, that question has to be somewhere in your, mm-hmm. in the back of your mind. Can I do this for the rest of my life? Yep. You know, I, it's always blown my mind that people think they can sort of suffer through a six-week period and then get they get to keep the new lower body weight. Forever. I, yeah, yeah. Like I paid my dues. <laughs> I just get this now. No, your body is a changing machine. Exactly. And that's the fault where everybody, you know, the New Year'sers, they change everything. January 1st, I'm going to quit smoking, eat nothing but vegetables, and go to the gym seven times a week. (laughs) No, you're not. No, you just turned your whole (laughs) world upside down. That's right. Give me one thing that you can change. Make it habit. Now let's pick another. And you know what? That's why I think diet gurus don't work. Like a lot of the online diet gurus and stuff, uh, that disturbs me because they'll put forth a very prescriptive diet plan for someone 
And but you know, if I do that for someone, that's Lonnie's diet. That's mm-hmm. not you know client Joe Smith's diet. So he's going to try to follow what I do, and he'll do it for a week or two. Mm-hmm. Then he's going to go back to some of his habits. I haven't considered his likes and dislikes, yep. his schedule, his spousal support, his skills in the kitchen, his medications. Mm-hmm. That's why you go to someone with a license who can take a look at all these things, you know, and they can do actual workup and do a the whole process that mm. professionals do because you have to consider all this stuff you know so yep. anyway it's the same thing but going with exercise you have to get a professional who's going to get baseline data and consider all of these other things orthopedic yeah. issues you know m- metabolic and nutritional and anyway and uh, that's you know like, one of my questions that i send out and it's usually the most failed one is okay how many days do you want to train and then the follow-up question to that is, okay, how many days can you realistically train? And it's usually two <laughs> different things. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, one. well, we got to figure that out, you know. Mm. It, just because you want to train six days a week for two hours a day, now can you? And it's usually no. <laughs> you know, right. Usually people can't do what they want to. It's like, okay, well, then we're fine. We need to do what you're able to do. And we can yeah. always add something onto that later. If Even having them do less, right? So yeah. People say... Yeah, I want to do six days a week. I can realistically, I think, do four, mm-hmm. and they've done none. Yeah, I'll be like, what about two or three? Let's yeah. do that for a while. Let's start there. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise they feel like a failure. They're like, yes. well, I said I could do four, and, and I'm only day. making it to the gym three days a week. I feel yep. like an idiot. And I'm like, yeah. but that's three days a week more than what you were making it before. That's yes. Percentage-wise, that's massive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're going to the gym 300% more times than you were. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it's uh, yeah, it's very individual. Some people are they got to do it every day. You mm-hmm. know, uh, like my wife and I have been talking about this too. Like, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. It's just hard to for us in our lives to stay on that kind of on off kind of thing. So instead of doing my usual like 45 minutes uphill walk sort of thing. Uh, I think I'm just going to get get on the elliptical and just jam out like 20 intense minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, on any morning that I don't have to go in super early for research uh, and just kind of try to get in the habit, you know, establish yeah. that habit over a three or four week period. That way it's every day. Uh, it's not as long as I'd like to do it. And it's not mm-hmm. direct fat oxidation the way I actually prefer it. But that's OK. I mean, it's going to come out in the wash. So everybody's got it. You're right, Phil. You got to ask them, like, what do you want and what can you do? Oh, yeah. And yeah. they're like, well, you train six or seven days a week. I live in a gym. Right. I own it. <laughs> you know, my lifestyle gives me the ability to. Right. You know. I wake so. up and I come here. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm here at 5 a.m. <clears throat> I leave at 8 p.m. <laughs> in that time somewhere, I'm going to be able to get something in. Yeah. You know, so. Well, let's talk about muscle gain resolutions then. I mean, this would be much more rare, of course, when people talk about fat loss and weight loss being so common, like Mike was saying, but... Uh, I think numbers-wise, it's actually pretty similar. When you look at the energetics, right, the calorie in and out, uh, it's somewhere around a half a pound uh, to a pound a week. And with muscle, though, you, I think you really got to consider diminishing returns. You know, that if you're intermediate or advanced, you cannot yeah. expect to make a 20-pound massive gain this coming spring, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, in muscle mass. So if there's – if it – costs roughly 2,800 calories. That's the number I usually use. That's a Mel Williams number to build a new pound of muscle. So that'd be 400 surplus calories a day across seven days of the week. And in theory, that would be a pound of muscle. But we've talked about this before. 
you can't nitpick and count grams, you know, and calories that on that small of a level. You really need to be adding hundreds of calories. So I would say, you know, like Fortress has a very simple system where he tries to eat more servings of stuff. Well, that's that doesn't have quite the granularity of grams and kcals, but that's actually probably better. You know, so like he's like, I usually eat two servings of pasta. I'm going to have four, you know, that kind of thing. I usually have um, one chicken breast. I'm going to have two. You know what I mean? And so it automatically sort of stacks in that, I don't know, 750 to 1,000 extra calories a day. So you can kind of break through those barriers, you know, so half a pound yeah, to a pound. And- like you said, it varies on where you are, and this is true in strength, too. Like, if I have a new person that says, hey, I want to add 200 pounds to my total in a year, I'm like, okay, let's do it. You know, if you're a 181-pound lifter and you're, your total's 1,500 already and you tell me that, I'm going to say you're nuts. <laughs> How about we try taking a zero off that and add 20? Right. You know? No doubt. So it, it depends on, on where you're at. And then, I don't know, as far as gaining muscle... Man, the biggest mistake I see, especially with the, the lean, light people, is they're like, dude, I want to add 10 pounds of muscle. So they add 500 calories to their diet a day, and then they train three times as much as they did before, and they oh, lose weight. Right. You know? right. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat like an animal, and I'm going to double my training. Well, doubling your training just canceled out eating like an animal. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> yeah. So negative mistakes you see all the time. Yeah. Right. Negative calorie balance. Right. Mm-hmm. There's two ways, and I think people forget forget this. There's two ways to get in a positive calorie balance to get that extra four or five hundred or a thousand mm-hmm. extra calories a day. One is eat more. The other is you're going to have to learn to be lazy when you're not in yes. the gym. Yep. You know, if you're like I'm going to train three hours a day, like you're saying, or, or what if you're a construction worker or you bust your ass all day long. You know, there's got to be a way to taper down the physical activity. Like maybe if you do have a physical job like that, you just you don't go out clubbing all night, yeah. you know, or something like that. You've got to um, you can get a positive energy balance by doing less. Yes. I mean, I had an example of that just a month or so ago. I had a guy come in. He's like a 165er and he, I'm going to be a 198. I was like, great. And then he was literally there for like three and a half hours and did not stop doing stuff. it's like just stop dude yeah stop your third different kind of deadlift is too much (laughs) right (laughs) well you know in bodybuilding it's the same thing you'll see the guys they're working on their rear delts or Mm -hmm. you know they're doing concentration curls for peak on their biceps i'm like okay you know what how about just some freestanding military presses in the middle of the room for your you know overhead pressing for your shoulders and forget about trying to you know bring out the shape or the peak of a particular head of a muscle you know it's yeah, it's overkill. It's overkill. It goes back to even just the basic principle of like Phil and you guys are saying is overload. But when they're training, they're literally doing almost kind of the same thing over and over and over. Yes. So they're not really doing more. They're not lifting higher volumes, greater density, bigger loads. They're just burning a bunch of calories. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it ends up being a bunch of really light stuff. It turns into freaking muscle cardio. And yeah. they're trying to gain, and they're not giving a stimulus for that. Yep. You know? So right now, let me put this to you first, Mike, and then I'll ask you, Phil. Uh, what is an adequate and realistic um, training volume then? So, for example, like five sets of five. I know that's great for strength. Arguably, that's good for size as well. How many reps, you know, or how many movements? Let's say you want to get a big chest or big um, triceps. What's the what's the volume requirement there? Because there's going to be some volume requirement for hypertrophy. Yeah, 
So what I do is I actually have a program that I actually have all the clients track their intensity, volume, mm-hmm. and density. And what I find is that some people will respond better to more strength-type focus, like, mm-hmm. say, the old-school 5 by 5 is a good, I'd say, mediocre-type range to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other guys do better with, you know, the, the old Delorme, you know, three sets of 10, maybe mm-hmm. 15 reps. You know, just depends on where they're at, how strong they are, that type of thing. Um, so what I do with physique athletes is I have them track that, and then my first preference for a template is actually to split it up over the week. So even if they're like a natural bodybuilder type guy, yeah, I'll have them do like some like a upper lower split is pretty good. So maybe upper lower um, two strength days, two hypertrophy days, right? So you're lifting four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that I find usually tends to work better than old school. I'm going to annihilate my chest one day a week and then take seven to ten days to recover. Um, I find for most people that's just not quite enough. And then for volume-wise, I just scale them up over the week. So really, really simple, old-school, linear. They may start at only two or three sets. And then uh, initially, I just scale them up until they just drop off and hate me. Mm-hmm. You know, So some guys may get five sets, six sets. The highest I've ever go is seven sets. And exercises are you know four to six a day. You know, Somewhere around there is probably a pretty good start. And if they you know, get to you know six sets and they're like, man, my joints hate me. I can't make it to the gym. I just feel horrible. My, you know, lifting is starting to go down. Okay, take a, you know, deload weaker again, and we'll start again with something a little bit different. So now I know about how much volume they can handle, and then we'll try to gradually build on that over time. Right now, obviously, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that undulating kind of, you yep. know, periodization. Um, yeah, for me, if it's strength stuff, I'm sort of in a. I actually do like maybe a four by four kind of thing, you sure. know. And then I'll do a. I jump more to a higher rep. Like a lot of undulating programs, they do a mid rep range. And to me, I don't know. I, nah. that, that's kind of wasting my time because you know I want a strength one, and then I want a more, higher volume, mm-hmm. lower intensity, you know, lower weight uh, kind of session. But so, Phil, what about you? I mean, if you're training. Obviously, intensity and number of reps is a big deal, So, mm-hmm. and, and they're going to reciprocate a little bit, but how many reps or sets, what's your volume requirement? Somebody says, you know, Coach, I, I got my, this new, really, uh, new Year's resolution. How do I put mm-hmm. on some size? The biggest thing I've found, well, it, like Mike was saying, it varies. Um, some people are, are intensity responders, and some people are volume responders. Yeah. Um, women in general respond great to volume. Um, and long limbed people I've found do better with volume than they do intensity, hmm. um, for strength and gains. Whereas shorter limb people tend to respond a little bit better to intensity. And I'm speaking in general terms, but my average person, I, it's, there's two things. People tend to handle a lot more volume than they think they can. And, um, as well, I mean, I usually, what they're amazed at instead of doing, Okay, it's leg day. I'm going to do these six exercises for three sets each or two sets each. I get better results out of we're going to do this one exercise and we're going to do it. And we're going to do it and we're going to do it, you know, to really get as much as you can out of one thing. And then it's like, okay, now four weeks from now, we're going to change to a different one. Um, I think people don't do any single move to the point where they've, they've really done it enough. 
Um, so I'll do a lot more of one move instead of many moves. You know, Phil, uh, right along so. those lines, I was just looking at a Muscle and Fitness <laughs> Reflex magazine, and the, you know, it's one of those training programs of the stars kind of things, and it's it's three sets of bench press, three yeah. sets of inclined dumbbell bench press, <laughs> three sets of flies, yes. then, then burn out with push-ups, then do mm-hmm. some cable crossovers for three sets. And you know what I mean? And it's just chaos. Yes. You know. Uh, and that's yeah. the same thing. I mean, I guarantee if you took a person and you took like an average leg day out of one of those magazines and it's like three sets of front squats, three sets of leg press, three sets of leg curls, three sets of, okay, take all those sets and put them all on squats. Yep. <laughs> and do that instead and <clears throat> tell me how you feel, you know. So, um, I've always been a fan of the meat and potatoes. Like I'll do squat or heavy leg press as a meat and potatoes movement. And then Mm -hmm. I'll do some kind of finishing burnout thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know. This is what I gravitated to myself over the years, but it does help that, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know, and and there's this neat thing that happens on big compound moves is that those big, big primary movers end up getting pretty tired and these other things start (laughs) kicking in. You know, like if you tell me if we're doing squats and we're going ass to grass and, well, I don't feel my butt working yet. Okay, keep going. It's going to come in at some point. Right, yeah. You know, or somebody saying like the one I hate is like, well, I want to isolate my quads more. I don't think squats are doing it. Is your knee bending? <laughs> your quads working. You know, and people <laughs> right. don't realize. It's that simple. If yeah. uh, You know, if you're doing a move where your arm bends toward you, you are working your bicep. You know, it's just yeah. a matter of fact. Yeah. <clears throat> so, is the joint angle decreasing? Then that muscle is shortening. You know exactly. <laughs> Even if you're not feeling it there, that thing's working. If something else is sorts, because that thing is weaker than that thing. So we need to bring that up. But you know, and in general, what I do is, gosh, for for pretty much everybody, um, we'll start very high in volume, and then we'll slowly move to um, higher intensity, lower volume. Now that's going to depend on what you're trying to do, like with. My powerlifters, we're going to end up moving to singles. Yeah. But my other athletes, we don't need – it doesn't matter. If you're a physique comp- competitor, I don't care if you can pull a heavy, heavy single. No, agreed. It, doesn't, it just doesn't yeah. matter. I, you know what? I think, Risk reward. Right. That's Hence, the like, I think I never go below like four reps, you know, four yeah. or five reps. That's brutally heavy. And why would I be doing a, a single? I just don't do them. I and that's the same thing with you know my multi-sport athletes. My my baseball player it doesn't matter if he can squat five hundred for one. It just doesn't. It, it you know it has no you know factor in his in his sport that matters. So right, exactly. Especially know. if his squat is real slow, you could argue yeah. if he can do a lighter weight at a faster speed, it's exactly a better transfer. So and that's where with with those people, you know, I'll. It'll be triples, or it'll be, or I'll put them on the frickin', you know, we'll we'll check the velocity of the bar, and we'll get bar velocity PRs. Yeah. You, know, right. you move the same load, you know, th- this much faster. Exactly. So, hey, I have one um, more question like for that. you, but let me interject one thing. Uh, if you are setting up a resolution for 2015, everybody, uh, think about this. I often ask students, you know, can you see one pound of fat loss off of you? If it takes a whole week to lose probably at best a pound of fat, and, you know, they say no. And then I say, how much would it take for you to notice? And they usually say, I don't know, five pounds. I say, what about other people? And for other people to notice, the answer is more like 10 to 20 pounds, depending on your initial body size, of course. Uh, And I think that's a similar rule with weight, uh, with muscle gain. You know, if you gain a pound of muscle, you can't see that. Yeah. You're going to have to gain probably five or ten pounds of muscle to see it on yourself and probably 20 for other people to notice. So mm-hmm. if we consider that you know a pound a week kind of thing, that's 20 weeks mm-hmm. before you can really see it. So that's, you know, we're into May 
yeah. you know, if you start January 1st. And, you know, that's like what you're saying, Phil. You've got to have extended, realistic um, a, a plan, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, oh, I'm, I want to be ripped for spring break. I'm going to start doing cardio in March well, or in February. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to yeah. work. It's just yeah. really not going to work. All right. Yeah. My last question is technique. Um, Phil, let's, I'll ask you first, because I really don't have a, uh, any quantitative info on this, but um, what about making a resolution that, you know, I want to become really good at, you know, the snatch or the bench. Now, again, I know these are different skill levels, arguably, mm-hmm. but, you know, people are always going to argue, oh, the bench press is highly skilled, you know, and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So what what's a realistic resolution for improving technique with a time frame, maybe? Again, that depends. If you're talking with a person that has, especially on the Olympic lifts, I guess, or any lift really, do they already have some kind of movement like ingrained in them or no? Like if I have somebody who's never snatched before, we can make leaps and bounds in sessions. Whereas if I have somebody who's been snatching for eight years and they have bad habits, that's going to take longer because it takes a long time to break those bad habits. They're going to want to drift back to them because they've done 10,000 reps of those. How do they know their technique is better? Do they need do they need the coach to say, you know, you you did that right, you know, you got your grip was where it should be or the bar yeah. ended up in the right place? Can is there are there internal Basically, cues? Or nowadays there's there's ah, not on the Olympic lifts. I think the the Olympic lifts are the one one move where I mean, you just have to have a coach. I mean, it's just because it's so fast mm-hmm. that you just can't see it or feel it, really. Um, and that's, I think, the biggest mistake people do when they, I'm going to change my technique, and they go at like 80%. You got to drop your freaking ego, mm-hmm. lower the load, and do it right. You know, <laughs> load messes up technique. So we need to ingrain that technique at a lower load on every move squat, bench, deadlift, snatch, cleaner jerk, whatever. And if you can't do it right with 135, I'm sorry, you're not going to do it right with 700. You know, it's so just not going to happen. What percent? If you're going to if you're so, going to work on a technique issue, are you going to drop below fifty percent? Is it going to be like 30%? maybe at first, mm-hmm. at first, and then you'll do a lot of technique work in that sixty seventy percent range. Um, okay, because mm-hmm. it's got to be heavy enough. Like anybody can, you know, on the other end of the stick, you know, anybody can snatch a freaking PVC pipe correctly. You put an external load there, and that's going to throw things off too. So um, it's hard to move correctly in weightlifting, any kind of weight. I use weightlifting as a broad term, meaning picking things up. Mm-hmm. Um, you do move correctly. Like I tend to move better under a little bit of load than I do with nothing. So how many so, weeks, Phil? Like uh, if they're going to set a resolution, God. you know, um, let's say let's let me give you some uh, like a case example. So let's say we set someone who's. Um, They've been bench pressing over the years. They've never thought much about, you know, technique. You know, maybe they're intermediate, uh, and they want to work on their technique. Uh, when can they expect that technique to be better if they get some good advice and some external feedback and stuff? I like giving any goal, I don't care what it is, at least three months. Okay. You know, if that's muscle gain, if that's technique, if that's, you know, weight loss, before you even start to measure it, give me 90 days, you know. Before you make it, and I think you can make with anybody, you can make pretty drastic gains of technique in ninety days. Mm-hmm. So if they really commit to it, right? You know, it's like you've got to. The problem is, is they'll usually what'll happen is they'll do it a little bit, and then they want to throw on a bunch of weight, and then they go right back. To, when when stuff gets heavy, you go right back to old habits, 
is the problem. Mm-hmm. So nowadays you can make drastic improvements. I, I see a lot of similarities with martial arts. Like, for example, the school where I went, it took six years to uh, become a black belt. And then that's where they consider your skill level is at a point you can start to actually you know, use your training toward a goal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Six years. So uh, weight training, unfortunately, people think they can do it in six days or six mm-hmm. weeks. And skill acquisition is a very long process, I think. But, mm-hmm. Mike, what do you think as far as if you're going to give a real realistic resolution for uh, changing technique in something? Yeah, I don't really have a very good time frame on that, to it's be hard. honest. Um, but I would say just a couple tips, like Phil was saying, you know, throw your ego under the bus because that's going to get you in trouble all the time. I mean, I'm going back trying to relearn my front squat again. <laughs> um, and it's so funny how, like, you're lifting in your garage. There's not much weight on the bar. I've got the video, so I know what's going on. It's not the best situation. Obviously, if you can work with a coach, that's going to be infinitely better. And in my head, I'm, like, thinking, I only have 135 on the bar. This isn't much. Mm-hmm. And, and your, your next thought is, well, I should see if I can do this with heavier weight. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. Well, what do I care? No one, I don't have to release the video. No one's going to see it. I'm in my garage. There's there's no one even here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not even in a gym. I'm not in a competition, you know. But those thoughts still, you know, yeah. come in your head type thing. Right, like um, who are you trying to impress? Yeah, it's like, who am I trying to impress? And number two, no one really gives a crap anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, you're right. That's right. um another thing too is if you can't work with a coach um i found that video works really Mm -hmm. well so 90 degrees either front or side or what view 45 degrees will give you very crude idea and then so let's say you're bending over during your squat right so your next goal then is lighter weight can you stay more upright assuming you know that works for your your physique and your levers and that type of thing and so when you do the squat Let's say you're only doing just triples, right? And when I'm done with that, I'll be like, okay, I think rep one and two were good. I think I got bent over a little bit on the third one. And then I go watch the video to see if my, basically my proprioceptive map of my body, mm-hmm. does that match what actually happened? Yeah. And if I look at the video and go, wow, okay, one, two, and three were pretty good, that will sort of align the view of my body a little bit better over time so that... I'll know when I'm doing something sort of better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you get heavier and as it gets faster, what I found is that process is completely different. Like I've done a, a heavier ish for me front squat thinking, oh my God, that was just slow as hell. And you, you mm-hmm. know, use a push device or Tendo or video and you look at it and go, mm-hmm. oh, the speed was actually pretty good. Yes. So that means that I've, in my brain, there's a, there's a mismatch there. Mm-hmm. And, I don't think you want to, in the past, I've tried to get in my head entirely during the execution of the lift, and that just screws you up, right? So if you're going down in a squat and you're thinking like 18 different things you're trying to fix, you're effed for starters, Yeah, you know? So go through the technique, go through, do all that in your setup so that you're in the position you want to be, execute the lift, then go, okay, how do I think that went? And then compare it to the video to see if you're right or not. You know, it's funny that you say that. I have rarely videotaped myself, you know, doing lifts. But I did when I would practice posing for competition. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? And I'll tell you, boy, you can watch on stage who hasn't practiced. Because you got to mm-hmm. give yourself at least six weeks. You know, not just the individual poses and bodybuilding, but the transition, you know, from shot to shot. 
and people's internal cues are wrong. Mm-hmm. They, they don't yeah. look how they think they look. You know, mm-hmm. they yep. they look very awkward or strained or just goofy. Yeah, you know, and it, yeah, you really got to get some of that external, you know, hard data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess anyway. All right, fellas, we are o- out of time. We're over, actually. So extra long episode this week. Bonus episode. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So uh, we'll be back uh, next week. We, we're starting to line up some guests for January, and um, uh, I guess we'll see you then. Yep. See you later. See you. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.